The second thing I would say about mistakes is, man, I welcome them. Make a mistake. If you're not making mistakes, you're not being creative, you're not trying. So it's hard for me to answer that question because I, I want to make mistakes. That's how I know I can course correct. I can dial in where I want to be when I bump into stuff. You're listening to the Millionaire's Unveiled podcast, where you'll hear the stories and interviews of everyday millionaires. We'll unveil their decisions, their strategies, and their current portfolio allocation. Now to your hosts, Clark Sheffield and Jace Mattinson. Alrighty, hello and welcome back to another episode of the Millionaire's Unveiled podcast. This is episode 114. Clark, how's it going? What's up going on in your world? Doing good. Crazy. We're at 114 now coming up on, on uh, what, what would that be? 112, I guess 112, right? It's two years. Yeah, yeah. So just, just past the two-year mark. It's pretty awesome. Uh, nothing much. Went skiing a couple days ago here. It was awesome. Out in Utah. What about you? You know, just getting ready for, for the holidays. And, uh, you know, quite frankly, we're enjoying this. I will be skiing in not too long. But right now, I'm I'm real happy to be enjoying this 70 degree weather in Texas. Kind of what you <laughs> what you live for in Texas is the the middle of the winter when it's 70 degrees and it's just beautiful and sunny. Yeah, yeah. So with the new year coming up, we were talking a little bit before about goal setting, right? And and I just it's interesting. I think both of us kind of became a little bit more serious about it in the last couple of years, right? Yeah. In the sense of really tracking our goals, looking back at them, reviewing them, figuring out what categories we want to put them in, how many goals to make, how specific to be, you know, all the all these sorts of things. And, and you know, I just I think it's interesting and, and important at the beginning of the new year. Some of our millionaires are, you know, really religious about goal setting and, and some really don't set goals. Right. So I don't think there's there's necessarily one way to do it. But those that I, I think have the, I'm going to say higher net worths, right, are very intentional about their goal setting. And it's just kind of an interesting trend that we've noticed. Yeah. And I think, you know, this year I've taken a little bit different approach after several of the books I've read this year and, and really trying to be pretty intentional and purposeful about how I go about my goal setting and then also figuring out what kind of habits I need to build to be able to kind of reach those goals. And, and including those as part of my goals. You know, we had David on episode 100 and he talked about how often he reviews his goals. And so that's something that I think I can do better at definitely is, is reviewing them more often. But also I've kind of put together several of these habits that I want to track to be able to kind of accomplish these goals. And I think being able to track that on a pretty regular basis will also kind of lead to actually accomplishing those goals. And, and getting kind of further down along the personal, you know, journey that I want to get on. Yeah, totally. And I was just, I'm looking up here. It's, it's, if you, if you want David's episode 100, his goal template, I think Jason and I would agree that he's kind of the one that we've ever talked to that's been the most intentional and, and, and kind of focused on his goals. You can go to the goaltemplate.com. And I think for both Jason and I, those are kind of the buckets that, that we use to make our goals. And, and maybe, Jace, you've kind of tweaked that a little bit here and there or whatever. But that's a, a really good starting point. At least it was for me. If you're if you're going to kind of, you know, set a New Year's resolution to start to, to make your goals. Anyway, just a, a little bit of advice there for, for somebody that's looking to start and kind of a direction to head to. So I, I got a question, too, for you, Clark, about a goal setting. This kind of come up with 
with several people I've had discussions with. What's kind of your take on, on do you set goals that you really feel like are, are attainable or do you kind of set them a little bit higher and reach for the stars? And if you end up having to, you know, grab the moon on the way down or whatever, you got yourself kind of farther along than maybe you would have otherwise. What's kind of your take? Yeah, I don't know. I, I think for me, it's probably both. But at the same time, I think if you if you set a goal that you know you're not going to achieve, I don't know how purposeful that is, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I think you want to set a goal where you're really pushing yourself. Obviously, I don't think you want to set something where, where you say, oh, that's, that's going to be easy, right? I'd rather say, you know, I, I want to make, let's just throw out a random number, right? I want to make $10,000 in, in passive income and make 12 or 15, then say, I want to make 70 and then make eight. And then say like, well, what am I doing? Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. Totally. But I think you want to. I'd rather set a number of twenty and then make fifteen than set a goal of ten and make twelve. Right. Yeah. I mean, any anybody would, but I think it. I think it still has to be somewhat attainable. Yeah, you got to kind of have that balance for sure. And I start yeah. thinking too when I think about goals. I think one thing that I was probably never that great at until more recently, and I still don't think I'm that great at. I'm trying to get better. Is is just accountability arounding those. you know, arounding things that I want to accomplish because, you know, being accountable to yourself, but also having somewhat of an accountability partner, I think is super important in trying to figure out how you can kind of, you know, be accountable to yourself, to others and whatnot. What's kind of your take on, on, on accountability surrounding your, you share them with your spouse, you share them with friends. What's kind of yeah, cer- certainly with spouse, and I think certain ones with, with friends, right? I think I can do a better job of of just sharing them all. Probably, you know, I think some are personal, you know, and maybe maybe shouldn't be shared, or for a marriage, or for you know whatever, right? There's certain things that certainly people set goals on that maybe they don't want to share, but I totally agree. It, account- I mean, accountability is the driver, right? Mm-hmm. If you if you come back to them, you're you're more likely to succeed. If you just put them on a shelf and you don't have to look at them again, and you're not held accountable, and nobody's following up with you, and you're not following up on them, I mean, you could still live an intentional life and accomplish your goals, but I think you're far less likely. Cool. Well, we'd love to hear your goals. So if you if, if you want to share them with us, uh, you know, we're more than happy to to listen, and you know, we love listen or love getting listener email and stuff. Today's show, we've got Tom, and Tom is a business owner, a counselor, a strategist, and a consultant. He's a man of many titles. He's got a very compelling story about switching careers, moving across the East Coast to put himself in a better position to succeed. Last week's episode, we discussed the billionaire's balance sheet and some trends of the millionaires we've had on the show and some things kind of upcoming for the show. And today, we're happy to announce that we have Glenn, the CEO and co-founder of Obsidian Capital, to tell us what they're up to and kind of give us an update on, on Obsidian Capital If you want to listen to his episode titled From Maintenance Man to Millionaire, go check that out. That's episode number 83. Glenn, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Just sitting here working a little late in the office. Just got off the phone with our publisher and kind of excited about some great news that it's coming coming your way. Yeah, let's talk about that. that. Let's talk about that for a second. So just just so our, our listeners are familiar and some of those new listeners, Glenn was on episode number 83, From Maintenance Man to Millionaire. And now we get to announce that his book, From Maintenance Man to Millionaire, is coming out. Glenn, do you want to give us a little bit more detail about that and where people can get the book and everything else? Yeah, you bet. Uh, thanks, Jace. Uh, you know, what's exciting is, you know, a couple of people that I talked to along the way that had heard my story and, you know, they, they realized that I kind of got up to 4,500 apartments. You know, I had my own management company and, and when they realized that I started off just as a, just an average maintenance guy, in the industry, 
they're like, man, you got to tell this story to some people. And I'm like, yeah, I'll tell it. I'll share it. Then a couple more people are like, dude, you got to write a book. I'm like, dude, I don't know about that. And uh, but as I started to get feedback from everybody else, uh, I figured, you know what? Why not? Because I've I've learned a lot of things along the way. And so, yeah, we're going to December 30th. It's going to come out on Amazon. It's going to be called Maintenance Man to Millionaire. And it will tell my life story about the ups and the downs, the bumps, the successes, but more importantly, some of the failures, too. So pretty excited about that, Jason. Yeah, no, that's awesome. I'm super happy for you and super excited. So just kind of give us a, a brief synopsis. What's something that somebody could maybe get a takeaway out of that book that they could take and learn and apply to maybe their multifamily life right now or or in the future as an investor? Yeah, that's great. You know, um, a lot of people ask me the same question, like, how do you get started? Like, how do you buy your first deal? So actually, the book has in it my first small 44-unit apartment complex uh, that I purchased and how I did it and how I got the money to do it and who I got it from and uh, all the way through the cycle to the sale. And so that's in, in one of the chapters. There's also another one uh, chapter that talks about you know having good partners and bad partners and what to look for, uh, whether you need a partner or don't need a partner. So I, go, I kind of go into detail on that in, in one of the chapters. Uh, and then I also have one in there that talks about facing adversities. And, you know, because we have a lot of setbacks in our lives and a lot of things get in our way in life that kind of prevent us from doing deals or what we're passionate about. So I talk about how we can overcome obstacles and uh, find the courage and really some techniques just to get away around some of those obstacles that are put in our way. So those are just a couple of little nuggets that are in there and it's kind of fun. I, I, I look back on it and I get all emotional about it because I look back on my career in the last 30 years and where I started, where I am now, it just, brings a little bit of tears to my eyes sometimes. Totally. No, it's super awesome. And I think it's a, it's a great story to share. And, you know, it's not, it's not often that we're able to kind of tell our life story and our journey in the form of a book. And, and this is something that you've been able to do, been working on for a while. And, you know, that's part of the mission of our podcast is to, to share these stories and get them out there for, for everybody's knowledge and use and to learn from and to be inspired by. And, you know, we're more than happy to, to help you grow your audience and, and, you know, everybody, once again, that's maintenance man to millionaire. You can pick that up on Amazon starting on December 30th. And, uh, you know, what else you got going on, Glenn? Uh, just, uh, you know, honestly, we put a deal under contract this week. Uh, 170 units up in uh, Fort Worth, so we're pretty excited about that. Going to have an offering coming out on that in the in the next week or so. We're just going to finish our due diligence on that, and uh, that's pretty exciting. You know, it's hard to find good deals in this market, and uh, you know, they, we we look at lots and lots of deals, but boy, they're hard to find any that actually will make money. So this will be a nice little money maker uh, somewhere where we are in the cycle. You know what, Jason? I got to give you kudos too. Uh, I had one of your listeners that enjoyed listening to you know Millionaires Unveiled, and they actually reached out to me via email, looked me up, and sent me a great email. And said that the story touched him, and he was he said, "I want to be like you someday, Glenn." And I'm like, "Wow, that's cool." So I know you got some cool followers, uh, Jay. So I don't know what you guys are doing, but it, you're doing a great job, and and I think you probably realize uh, you got probably have a lot of influence on people that want to be entrepreneurs out there. So thanks for letting me be part of it too. I appreciate it. We appreciate you. And uh, 
Once again, that's that's Glenn Gonzalez with Obsidian Capital. Maintenance man to millionaire coming out on December 30th. Thanks for coming on and giving us a little update. Thanks, Jace. Thanks for having me, man. Appreciate you listening to the show. If you have any interest in being on the show as a millionaire interviewee, please send us an email at millionairesunveiled at gmail.com. Without any further delay, let's get into today's episode with Tom. Tom, do you want to just give us a little about your story, kind of what you're up to now? Absolutely. Thanks for having me on. My name is Tom Reed, and I am an uh, author, a, a business development consultant, a strategy business advisor, and among other things, a licensed clinical uh, therapist by history. And there you have it. Awesome. And how long have you been a therapist? 15 years. Is that something that you started right when you got out of college or high school, or how did that kind of work? Yeah, you know, coming out of college, you have to get a, a graduate degree and then get licensure to be a, a, a licensed clinical therapist. So I spent about 10 years or close to 10 years in New York working with a troubled youth. And um, that would be more like a counselor position. And then uh, moved to um, North Carolina in 1996 and got my graduate degree at um, University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill, and started a mental health and substance abuse services company with a business partner, a very talented person named Tim Brooks. And then you've been doing that for the long time? Yeah, you know, and I think that, you know, for, you know, for me, and I know you guys, uh, like to get the story of the person you're talking to, you know, to be quite frank, when I was in New York, I was doing really well for myself with a bachelor's degree. I had, uh, risen in the organization that I was in pretty high relative to my age, was making really good coin and really had to ask myself, Hey, do you want to, you want to go for another 10 years and retire? I think at the time, the retirement benefits in New York start like 55, 59, something like that, if you were a state employee. And so it was, you know, on the surface, it seemed like a kind of pretty good deal. Like you guys are kind of young. I don't, I don't even know if you guys even think like that nowadays, but back in the late 1980s, that was kind of how people thought. And so I needed to make a decision. Do I walk away from this job where I'm making great coin at an early age? I can retire early. You know, I'm like 25 talking about what I'm going to do when I'm 55. I mean, do you guys do that? Do you have that conversation? Yeah, we do actually. (laughs) (laughs) But I, but I agree with you, Tom. I think it's, it's more often talk about now, right? With this whole financial independence and, and retiring early, right? It's, it's a conversation that comes up a lot more than historically has, right? Like I think, and Clark, I think the difference is when you retire, when, when you guys talk about retiring or retiring early, it's because you've crushed it on some entrepreneurial or business venture, not because you worked for some government agency for free. Right. Totally. Agreed. Totally. Yeah. So I think that's the difference. So I had to ask myself, you know, what are you going to do? You got to plant your flag on being a career bureaucrat. Notice I didn't curse there. Or are you going to go ahead and, and take a chance? So I, I picked up with my uh, new bride and we moved to North Carolina and I'd started over. So, so in terms of your audience, who are people who are, whether they're millennials or even older people who are thinking about changing careers, I have no advice for you other than just sharing my story. It was a big risk. And, you know, there were family and friends that were telling me, you're crazy, man, like leaving that opportunity. What? And uh, started over making half the money, n- none of the, the, none of the prestige, if you will. 
Right. And I'm a student <laughs> again. <laughs> that was a that was a sort of like maybe a humbling is probably too strong a word, but it was a little humbling. And uh, I guess the, the when I reflect back on that and think about what uh, people can learn from my story is that's an investment that I that I made in myself and and. I have to say that if I had to do it all over again, I would do it exactly the same way. So what was the reason you did that? Was it the quest for financial freedom? Was it to be your own boss? Was it time? Clark, that's a good question. I, I would say mainly, mainly because I'm not a very good employee. <laughs> I'm a, I'm a, I, in fact, I mean, you could say I'm a bad employee, you know, and, and you know, when you're young, you guys could probably relate to this. You have lots of ideas. You know, the, the, the hierarchies, the top, you know, they may be like, Hey, you know, we're not that interested in your ideas. Just do the work and, you know, whatever. And so if you have good ideas, you want them to be heard. And my thinking was I needed to really put my money where my mouth is in terms of, uh, in, in getting a graduate degree and then trying to have an impact on the people that I was working with, uh, through that. Yeah, I think it's a great point and, and one that's probably not often talked about on our show because I think if you're, if you're younger and driven and, you know, want to be extremely successful in your career, you do exactly what you just said, right? You come to your employer with ideas or ways that can, something can be improved or changed. And if you're not heard, right, it drives you out or it drives you to go look for something different. And, and I think that can be disheartening, right? And, but, but then you're trying to find the balance of, okay, when do I go out on my own if I want to start something and, and, you know, how much do I put into it? And when do I take that risk? Well, you know, that, that's it. I really like how you've, you've, you've uh, characterized this and framed it because moving forward with my story, starting a company with a business partner with uh, no clients, so it's a therapy company, no clients, no contract, no money, no backers, total bootstrap. And the reason I say it like that is because I view myself as a, a blue collar entrepreneur. I'm trademarking that, by the way. Um, the, you know, I think nowadays there seem to be two schools of thought. One is bootstrapping, which doesn't seem to be as sexy. Uh, I think bootstrapping used to be really cool. And I think now, and it may just be my bias, but it looks like now people are biasing towards, Hey, I've got this really good idea and I need to go find a funder. Or, you know, I've got this totally. really good idea. You agree? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's easy to write like, hey, I've got this great idea. Let me just go raise the money for it instead of bootstrapping. You know, we see all the press that gives all these companies that turn into unicorns. You know, Mm -hmm. everybody forgets about all the failures or all the ones that are bootstrapped and are super successful because those are the ones that get the press, right? They're the ones that show up in Crunchbase and TechCrunch and everything else. And on the front page of the Wall Street Journal, I mean, WeWork's a, a very good example of one recently that just got tons and tons and tons of press and it's VC backed and, you know, they've had all their issues that they've come out with and, you know, all sorts of things with the founder and the founding team and everything else. But at the end of the day, like, yeah, I think it is more attractive for a lot of people to say, let me get this idea and I'll just go raise the funding for it. Or yeah, and it's all, yeah. And it's like the end game is how quickly can I take my idea to market fully funded and then recapitalize or flip it and then move on to the next thing. Like that has become the, the version of hitting 330 and batting in 100 RBIs and 40 home runs in a season. Like, hey, that's cool if you can do that. But I'm not cool with that as a business person and someone who likes to have an impact and supporting and helping young people learn the ecosystem of business. 
There's a whole other world out there. And I guess in a way I'm pitching and advocating for that, uh, for, for bootstrapping is not just noble. It's awesome. I actually think it's a pretty, um, responsible way to do things. And it, let's be real. If your idea is good and you believe your idea is good, then go make it work. Take some responsibility for that. So, so that's again. So that's my attitude, and that's what that's the way we went to to market. And uh, we started in uh, 14 years ago, basically with uh, we had a. We I don't know if this is a story that will, will people will find interesting or not. I think I I like it. Our office was a spare bedroom. Our office chairs, one of them was one of those Gatorade containers here where the football team uses a Gatorade. Um, had one of those with a chair. <laughs> and then we picked up a stool out of, literally out of a dumpster. So we had those, that's where our office chairs and we had a fax machine. And now it's like, okay, let's go hustle. And, uh, you know, where I'm from in New York, everyone is a uh, first or second generation, you know, American. And so, uh, there are people who have immigrated from all, all over the place and everyone's got a job and a side hustle, you know? And so for me, you take your side hustle money and you plow it into your great idea or whatever. Like that's, that's, that's kind of a, 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 a school of thought that I subscribe to. So putting our efforts into the therapy business, it's like, okay, let's go out and get contracts. You know, how do we do that? There's there in mental health there's therapists everywhere. How do you gain a contract when the, when the insurance companies say, Hey, we're good. You know, you two guys are awesome, fine, but we got our needs met. And so what we did was we said, hey, give us a handful of the clients that we know are calling in your crisis system over and over again. They're clogging up your system uh, and you're not getting the results you want. Give us the basically the hardest clients that you have. Let us prove that we can do a good job and get positive outcomes with those people. And then we'll talk contract. Mm. And it did. We got some traction. And the reason I, I use that example is not to kind of brag about how we did it, but really just to, to underscore the idea that if you have a good idea, there are ways that you can frame that. And ultimately, if you are helping someone else solve a problem with your good idea or your service or your product, you are going to get customers. Boom. Right. And that's how it is, right? The people will pay you what they think you're worth and for the problems that you solve, right? And if you can't help solve the problems or bring value to somebody else, then they're, they're not going to pay anything for it. You ever been in a room with someone who's telling you about their business or their product and you feel like the problem they're trying to solve is how they can make a lot of money? Right? You yeah. Can... Or trying to force it on somebody, right? Trying to come up with an idea that, yeah, I get what you're saying. Yeah. So that gets to, you know, that gets at kind of my mindset in terms of how to build a business. So now you got this idea, you got, you got some, you got some clients and it, you very quickly get into, are you going to hire people? You know, I, I remember having 30 staff was way more stressful than having 300 staff at a time, right? Because you have to have, when you, when you have a handful of staff, you're everything. You're the boss, you're the worker, you're the manager, you're, you know, you're, you're, you're clean, you're cleaning out the floors, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Do everything. And then you hit a certain threshold where you start backfilling and hiring your and developing systems. So I think in terms of, you know, building a business, uh, that again is a, is a mindset that people want to think about is what, 
when you plan for that life or, or, or read up, read up on some, on some business life cycle information, because that can be really helpful in shaping your, your strategy and your plan. So when you, so I'm just backing up a little bit here. When you dove in to start this business, A, what was the fallback option if there was one? And B, were, were, I don't know if you're married now or if you were married, what was it, what were those kind of competing forces or were there competing forces in saying, eh, like this is too risky? Well, that's a good question. You know, when you, when you own your own business, it's not uncommon to work on Christmas, right? There's a problem and there are a lot, and, and something's going on. They need you to intervene or deploy. Well, guess what? You're working. And so I think it's very important that you have um, a spouse or a support system that understands that. In terms of, you know, getting going and uh, establishing uh, your value to your, to your audience and to your payor, I think that you should be very excited and very both humble, but also very uh, driven and confident in your articulation about what you can do to bring to the table. Yeah, I like that. And 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 just to follow up, you know, I think these are conversations that Jason and I had and we've had with a few other people that we've had on the show is I think sometimes when people get in a in a safe job, right, where they have good income, they're more reluctant to go out and take a risk and, and start something themselves, right? Because in a sense, they have a safety net, right? Mm-hmm. They have they've not guaranteed income, but maybe they have a safe job, but they feel like they're not going to lose and they work hard and they have good income and it's income they can live off. But on the other hand, right, they kind of long for being their own boss and having financial freedom or freedom with their time. And and I think sometimes not sometimes it probably always is hard to say, hey, I'm going to step away from the comfort or the safety net right of a, of a full time job or a W2 job. And then now I'm going to go start my own thing. So I know you talked about that a little bit, but just want to hit on it again on, on how you were able to mindset wise kind of make that shift. Well, that's a great question. I think that I'm not I'm not on the call to lecture about whether a person is or is not an entrepreneur like that comes from to me. That comes from the heart. Uh, that's for the person, you know, who thinks of themselves to decide, are they an entrepreneur? My mindset is simple, is you want to basically scratch your eyes out working for somebody else. The idea that you you want to have control over uh, articulating your ideas and forwarding those ideas, it becomes actually binary so that you've got safety. Yeah, you got safety, but you're also going to balance that with counterbalance it with happiness and uh, drive and sat- job satisfaction. And at some point, that drive, happiness, and job satisfaction start outweighing the safetyness, uh, the, the safety. And that is what drove me in terms of my mindset. I, I'm not saying that's every entrepreneur's uh, journey, uh, but that's certainly my journey. So, Tom, let's let's get into a little bit of the the nitty gritty. So, h- how do you kind of allocate your investments now that you've kind of gone on this millionaire journey and a journey of financial freedom? Yeah, basically. Every one of your, 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 uh, speakers probably does it a little differently. So I'll lay it out. Mine's, mine's pretty, um, foundationally basic and then stacks. So I want my bottom foundation to be wide and secure. So I want, say, 30% of my number of my total net worth to be in very, uh, safe, uh, responsible securities or, or, um, 
ETFs, electronic uh, traded funds, or things like that, but real safe. Okay, so some people might say, well, safety is having it sit in a CD or whatever, but that you know that's probably a little bit maybe for me it's too safe. So anyway, that I want to have a nice big foundation. And is that all equities? No bonds? Yeah, but all that kind of stuff. Bonds. Oh, everything. All that kind of stuff. And anything you can basically buy on the open market, public equities, bonds, whatever, 30% of that you want in that kind of bucket. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Then I want like another, you know, 30% uh, in nice dividend secure, uh, you know, relatively secure stocks. But ones that no- pay a dividend? Oh yeah, yeah, and, and pay, and, you know, paying a good dividend too. So maybe they're the dividend uh, aristocrat type type funds. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, okay. exactly. Then on top of that, I want to have a good twenty percent in what I call higher risk trading, which is going to be stuff that I'll trade myself because I actually started when I was a teenager getting into um, wanted to become a stockbroker. That was my initial journey into uh, college, and so I do all my own trading. Uh, at, at, on the, on that level. And so I do, um, mostly, mostly selling, uh, puts and, and writing covered calls. So, so doing mostly options with the idea being that I'll sell a put on a stock that I want to be in. Uh-huh. So, you know, let me make some money on premiums before I enter that stock. Then once I have that stock, it's preferably one that has a dividend, uh, is fairly good stock that I actually want to be in. So now I've got um, potentially two sources of income right there, and then I'll sell covered calls on top of that, which gives me the only risk there is that I lose the stock if it goes up, uh, and that's a risk that I'm willing to take. So, that, so that's, that's what I call my risky stuff. And then the super risky is going to be my venture capital. So I've got eight investments ranging from about 20K to 100K in usually product-based companies. I did services for so long. I'm less drawn to doing services. I, I like the challenge of doing something new. So I tend to be in, in product-related companies. And uh, in those investments, I'm typically either on an advisory board or on the board of directors or I'm coaching the CEO or the CEO founder just because I've got a lot of experience building a business from scratch. My mental health company over time went through and hired around 2,500 people wow. and did about 150 mil in red. So to me, it's less important about what those two numbers are and more important about how I, I learned to manage the life cycle uh, of a business and all those lessons that are learned along the way. You know, if, if I could have had someone coaching me at each one of those steps, I could have done probably way better than I did. Totally. And where does, where does, sorry to interrupt, Jason, where does real estate, I know you have some real estate, commercial real estate, where does that fall in? Which bucket here? Yeah, commercial real estate is going to be um, one of my, I think about it a little bit like a venture capital, but it's, it's much more. Okay. Secure. Now, the, the thing about, for me, for commercial real estate, I like owning the business that's in the building. So that's, that's the majority of where my real estate holdings are. But I do have one that's more venture style where it's, 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 um, a company that's redoing like a a tobacco warehouse or whatever and making condos. So I do have one of those. How many hours a week do you work, Tom? Yeah. You know what they say? You love what you do. You never work. Right. You never work a day in your life. Yeah. Yeah. Period. Now, now listen, I've worked my. To get to the point where I'm doing, you know, whether it's coaching or public speaking 
Uh, I mentioned to you before that I've written a book called Task, T-A-S-K, Performance-Based Communication, which is a book about how you can align with other people and be effective with your communication. That's on Amazon. Uh, people can check that out. So in doing all those activities, they'll be, you know, speaking, you know, they'll be speaking engagements or things where I'll go and I'll make, I'll make coin doing an activity. And then there's, I might be, you know, out walking around talking to whomever about uh, the book. I'm, I'm trying to start a revolution on effective communication and I'm willing to do it like an, like an ion propulsion engine, one drip at a time. I'm not doing a lot of flashy marketing. And that process to me, I'm loving the process. It's going great. I'm getting feedback from my audience that the book is helping them change their lives. I mean, you tell me, am I working? Yeah, I mean, it's your perspective, right? Yep, absolutely. So let me just run through these that we, that we talked about before the show, kind of how how you're invested. So you have the book you just mentioned. You do consulting work, mm-hmm. right? You have a mental health substance abuse company. We talked about that a little bit. A medical software, right? Uh, Yeah, the medical software serves directly the mental health substance abuse company. And that's a cool story. It's called Case Handler. And when we started the mental health company, we had a whiteboard in this bedroom with no names on it. But we drew little lines to make it like a grid. And we said, we're going to get some clients to put those names up on that board. And we did. And then the board got full. And we're like, okay, what are we going to do? Keep buying whiteboards? So we shifted from whiteboard to, to Microsoft Excel, did that for six months and we're getting lots and lots of clients because we, you know, we're doing a, a, a really good job getting posi- helping people get positive outcomes. So now the Excel spreadsheet started getting too long and we were like, what are we going to do? Uh, we, we really need something. And this was early enough where there weren't a ton of like press and play electronic health record stuff going on like there is now. So we we're like, we're going to build our own. So we contracted with someone that we knew that did um, database and website development, and he's been working with us for the last 14 years, building it from scratch. Wow, that's impressive. Yeah, thank you. And that thing's amazing. I mean, I don't know where that's going to go. That's not really my area of expertise, although I did get pretty good at selling it and leasing it to other companies for a while when we were going that route, but it was getting too big that it was hard to service those arrangements. But uh, that's kind of a cool story. I, I'm... I'm I'm actually, that, that's one of the things that I would really like to, uh, it's still on the table to blow up sort of thing. Sort of thing. Right, right. And then beyond that, you mentioned the commercial real estate and then about eight investments mm-hmm. in uh, in VC, anywhere from around 25 to 100,000 in each, right? Right. So how, I guess as a percentage of your time, what, what takes the most here? Is it still the mental health and substance abuse? Is it? No, the mental health and substance abuse, we've, we've, done what, what you could call recapitalization or an exit type situation. Okay. I'm still doing some consulting back to that company in the form of training and some, some clinical supervision for some of their staff. But, you know, when I was writing the book, that took up a fair amount of bandwidth. Sure. And I like to joke around that if you think about writing a book, just think again, don't do it. It's awful. <laughs> but that's me. You know, I, I'm not a great writer. I had a great editor. And so I was very, his name is, uh, uh, Mike Riley. And I was very lucky, uh, to have him, uh, helping me with that project. And I, I'm actually gearing up to write my second book that's, that's taking again the lessons I've learned about communication and mental health, uh, from the business perspective and moving it, even dialing into, to, uh, for sales. 
So it'll be task for sales and then maybe task for your parents to be effective with their children. So I'm thinking about really ruling it out. But again, I'm not trying to build something just for the sake of building it. I'm being very, how do you say, uh, conscious. To intentional? Things. Yeah, intentional, yeah. I'm doing it very like intentional. Uh, when, when, I, when we were building the mental health company, it was a grind, you know, and, and the, you know, the word grind implies like a breakdown over time. It's grindy. And I've decided that as I do other adventures, I'm going to be more like a plow. And to me, the difference is with a plow, you got steel and snow and steel is going to win every time. And so it just means being intentional about uh, what you're looking to do and being thoughtful and not overextending yourself. So as you get older, I'm 53. So as you get older, you want to try and manage yourself so that you're well, like you're healthy, your wellness is up to speed. And so that's important to me. Tom, kind of in your adult life, when did you kind of start approaching your investments, you know, with this 20 and 30, 30%, 30%, 20% to kind of where you've got it honed in now? Well, so Jason, I started when I was seven, starting to get into the to stock market. My dad was into it. I, I followed in his footsteps. And what I would do is I would look at the, the end of year reports for, you know, GE or Exxon or whatever. And I would write away to the companies and, and, and write them because in the seventies and I'd send a letter saying, Hey, can you send me your stock, your annual report or whatever? And then I put them in my briefcase. I have a file. So I did that for a while. And then I started. You had a briefcase at seven years old. Yeah, it was great. Man. Heck yeah, case. man. It was an shape <laughs> case. And yeah, and I loved it. You know, I was, I was playing stockbroker and I would buy stocks and track them, you know, on paper. Anyway, when I was in high school, I started, you know, take my, my money from my little jobs that, you know, my businesses with lawn business, you know, snow shovel business, my hustles. I take that money and I actually would start buying stocks. And so I day trade when I was in high school. You know, this is payphone era, guys. I dropped a dime in the payphone. And using data that's 24 hours old in the New York Times, you know, uh, stock report, and I would day trade. Wow. So if you had a, if you had a guess, let's just rewind here a little bit, and, and you're back working in New York. Uh-huh. Do you think you would have became a millionaire? And if so, how long do you think it would have taken you to get there or at least achieve financial independence? You know, I probably would have become a millionaire. But it, it would have taken way longer. I might not be, I might not yet be one, but I would probably get there. I, I started buying, um, Starbucks in 1991 or 92, right around there and, uh, have held, I've held, I've never sold it. So, you know, th- I, I, you know, that's a typical story you've probably heard from some of your, your, your people you've had on the show where they've worked a job and they've plowed money and, and they've been fortunate to pick a winner of the stock or whatever. Yeah. So I, I was probably in that boat. I would be miserable. See, there's, there's, a, there's a happiness index in all this, Jace. That for sure, for me, sure. There's no, there's no escaping. I, I, I would have gotten there eventually. I, th- I think that your generation does a way better job than my generation on really looking at and evaluating like happiness and wellness. And, you know, all jokes aside, I think the millennial generation is the greatest generation because you guys have kind of been raised really really well uh, you get you know you get your issues everyone has their issues but i'm excited to see what you guys do like i don't not to get too political but i'm like watching zuckerberg and and you know getting his tour up you know in congress but you know for the most part to me he's a millennial he might be a little older but 
I mean, they're talk about an entrepreneur that, you know, I, I'm a fan. So anyway, I don't want to get too political, but I'm looking at the guy going, cut the guy some slack, man. I get it. That we got to, <laughs> you know, the, the, the economy and, and Libra might be risky, but man, be nice to the guy. Don't be such a beat, beat, beat to the guy. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, no, totally. I mean, it's, it's an interesting <laughs> phenomenon, right? Like we have, these entrepreneurs that, that come up in our society and completely change the way we think and the way we do things. And like, you know, Steve Jobs is, is one of them. Mike, Mark Zuckerberg is one of them. Bill Gates is one of them. And, you oh. know, these things just affect, you know, obviously Jeff Bezos and, and we have all these devices now and all these things that change the way we think. And then all of a sudden we've got people that are in their seventies and eighties in Congress and they're like, hold on now. Like, these things have infiltrated our lives to the point that, like, what are we doing? And it's like it's just a totally different way of thinking, right? Yeah. And, and again, not to get political, but Zuckerberg's like, hey, you can shut me down if you want, but just so you know, China is doing this. Yeah. So exactly. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. You know, it's it's funny you bring up you know that the happiness. I've I've got a personal thing that I track. I call it the Life Happiness Index, and I kind of track it, you know, quarter over quarter. Just kind of where I'm at and how happy I am with like the things that I'm engaged in. And I think that is some, something that definitely millennials look at more. You know, does mm -hmm. this thing align with my values more so than maybe generations of past? And it's kind of an interesting thing to think about. When know? I was younger, when I was your guy's age, if I said to one of my employers, Hey, I'm, I'm looking to be more happy or I have an index and things that are tracking and make me happy, they would look at me like I had three heads. Oh, yeah, totally, totally. Like, what are you talking about? Of course yeah. you're not happy. You're not supposed to be happy. That's why they call it work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So Tom, you got you've got all these businesses, you've got a great, you know, books and all these things going on. Where do you kind of go from here? Where do you see the next decade of your life heading? You know, that's funny you say that because that's something again that, that I'm taking my time with and, and and giving that some intention in terms of breathing into that because I've spent so many years even from being a child of business and drive and hustle, side hustle, front hustle, that I have decided to uh, be very mindful about where I go from here. So I would say I, my, my, I'm not kidding when I say I'm, I want to start a revolution of effective communication. I want to have an impact. And whether that's working with struggling police departments and first responders or struggling school systems or just business. A lot of times I, I work with family-owned businesses. Because you know, those situations, they often suffer in silence. Whereas you, know, you, have, you have, like maybe you have multi generational a transfer of power or transfer of equity. I think that's going to be a hot topic. If you haven't delved into that one with some of your guests, do a show on that one. Because you know, the next twenty years is a, a a lot of equity is going to change hands, and some of that equity is going to be in the form of businesses. Yeah. Well, and 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 I'm even seeing it now. I work for a, a property management, real estate investment property management company in, in New York, and a lot of the people are, you know, the the kids have been handed their their buildings from their parents, right? They bought a big building, and the kids get it, and now they say, I don't like. What am I going to do with this? Or I don't know how to deal with it, right? Well, like, so, I like the real estate business, I, you know. Yeah. And, yeah, and there's a variety of things that can happen anywhere from substance abuse to just irresponsible behavior. There's a lot of things that can happen. Uh, but, but I really, really enjoy working with family businesses. I have seen, I've seen the, the, the lessons I've learned in mental health therapy, working with families, with, with children or adolescents involved in gangs and helping families work through that. I've, I've observed that 
all or most of those communication tools, they crosswalk to business seamlessly. And really, that was the genesis of the book, Task, Performance-Based Communication. All that information crosswalked, and I spent about five years stress testing it because I had the the clinical background, I had the research behind the tools in the book, and I decided, let me go break it. I'm not going to go to market with something if it can't hold up under tension. And so I've worked with close to 200 companies in varieties of sizes, usually from zero to 40 million in rev, just because they tend to be more open to the type of uh, support that I do. And I went out and tried to break it. And the truth is, it, do, it, it doesn't break. It works. So I'm just going to walk, I'm going to walk through a 30 second version of it, uh, what the task stands for. T in task stands for treat people with dignity and respect. And here's the key at all times, without exception, you strive to treat people with dignity and respect. Are we human? Do we have bad moments? Absolutely. Recover and get back on task. A is assume positive intention. People, we are all driven to do things that we think is well-intentioned and positive, even if that thing we're doing is negative and even against the law. So it's separating out behavior from intention, assuming positive intent. For example, people smoke cigarettes. We all know that the, the, the secret is out. Cigarettes will kill you. And so when you ask somebody, why do you smoke? What do they say? In that moment, it makes me feel better in the moment. Okay, that's an example. Their their positive intent is they want to feel good in that moment. It has a consequence. It's a bad behavior, right? It's harmful, but their intention is positive. When you understand someone's intention, you can communicate in a way that's aligned. So now I can have more compassion rather than, hey, you know, you should stop smoking. It's bad for you. That's off-putting, right? that's, That's a power struggle. All right, so that's T, that's A. The S in task stands for strengths. People are full of strengths and solutions and that we should seek to water the flowers. Don't worry about pulling the weeds. Water the flowers. Grow and focus on the strengths. And that's the strengths-based perspective. And then K is keep people empowered. People enjoy expressing themselves and doing what they think is right. So stay out of their way. That's task. Awesome. Love it. I think you got a buyer here. So I'm going to go on and check it out. Right. It's a revolution. One, one person at a time. Yeah. And I, I tell people, you're done reading it, you know, give it to somebody. You, you know, you're not supposed to say that. You know, the, 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 the publisher you know, says you shouldn't do that. But I say, I don't care. Let's start a revolution. <laughs> <laughs> So, Tom, just before we wrap up here, what, you know, I, I think you've, it's really commendable. I think you found the balance between investing and starting your own bis- businesses to helping and serving others. And yeah. it, it's something I really respect about you and, and the career path that you've taken. What mistakes do you feel like you've made along the way or, or what advice, I guess, in, in wrapping up would you give to somebody who's, you know, on their starting or, or partway through their financial? Well, I love this question because two, two thoughts come to mind. One, I think the biggest mistake that I made was waiting too long to uh, start my own company. That you know, not my side hustle companies. You know, when you're young, but like the real company. Uh, I, I probably waited too long. I was a little bit too cautious. To I think Jace was saying before about safety, you know, versus happiness or whatever. Uh, I probably got stuck in the safety box too long. So if I could talk to my younger Tom and, and go back, I would coach him to, to take more risk 
The second thing I would say about mistakes is, man, I welcome them. Make a mistake. If you're not making mistakes, you're not being creative. You're not trying. So it's hard for me to answer that question because I, I want to make mistakes. That's how I know I can course correct. I can dial in where I want to be when I bump into stuff. So yeah. Yeah, so it's a little hard for me to answer that question. No, 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 I like it. I like it. I think we need to emphasize our mistakes more and, and especially now with so much, you know, so many and so much resources available, right? Oftentimes we can learn from other people's mistakes too. Yeah, you know, and if you look at social media, what's happening on, on the gram and, 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 and all the platforms, people are, are presenting what I call a facsimile of happiness and a facsimile of things going well. When the truth is people are struggling and I worry that some of this, so I'm, I'm kind of sounding curmudgeon but I really do worry that some of the social media stuff makes people who already feel bad feel worse. And I really don't know exactly what to do about that. So I'm not taking that on, but I am taking on com- effective communication. That one I'll take on. <laughs> so what, one question, Tom, that I, I'm intrigued with here, what, if there's two or three factors, maybe, you know, you've obviously been successful. What are there a couple of things that you can point to and say, hey, that's what did it for me? Was it, you know, you, you talk about communication. Was it communication? Was it you worked relentlessly? Was it you took a risk to start this company? Are there a couple of things that maybe stand out about how you've become successful? Sure. First is I don't, first is I don't think about success like that. Like I felt, I feel no different than when I was 12 and getting paid $7 to mow you know, someone's lawn, I feel exactly the same sense of success as I do if I turn over a property or a business and exit. So the, the number is, is bigger, but the feeling is exactly the same. So I would say, uh, for me, the mindset or the secret is to, to be really in touch with what your own internal core values are and then pour gasoline on those and blow them up and then take a sledgehammer and hit it hard. And the key is to do that every day to, you know, like, like, you know, it's kind of hokey to say, you know, don't take no for an answer. Uh, but really, you know, I do believe that no is just a not yet. Yes. I, you know, that I just, uh, I got, I got myself into a little bit of trouble not too long ago. It was a couple of years ago. I was pitching, uh, I, I have some expertise in uh, helping clinical providers to de-escalate or help de-escalate people who are, are having a crisis. And uh, there was a city, I won't mention the name, that I knew had a, a um, abusive power with their first responders issue. And I talked to their HR, or whoever the person was that does training, and I offered my services. And I said, I'll even do a pro bono. You know, I want to get in there and lend you that I've got 32 years experience in this industry let me lend some of that so that your officers, if we, if we can prevent one incident, then it was well worth it. And they said, no, we, we only train from within. Mm-hmm. You know? I said, okay, I understand that. I said, however, do you have anybody that has 32 years experience with expertise in verbal de-escalation? Do you have that person? And do you think that they could do a better job than I can do based on our conversation? And this person got irritated with me and said, I just said, we don't do that. And I was like, okay, you know, I'll bow out. But I remember feeling like for me, like a little defeated, like, wow, I usually don't take no for an answer, but I wanted to be respectful that the person was clearly felt that they were boxed in and couldn't you know, work around that. I remember feeling how I was really bummed out about that because I do think that we're going through an evolution 
like with the like with the Me Too movement and community policing, I think there's so many opportunities for people in general to to more effectively communicate. And I don't care what trajectory I need to take to 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 impact it, I'm gonna impact it. Yeah. Agreed. I think really well said. Anything else you want to touch on that we haven't asked? You know, I think that I I I love what you guys are doing. Like there's something magical about financial freedom and the idea because because really let's be you know let's be real it's kind of a fence and you're on one side of the fence or another you guys have planted your flag on hey it's millionaire and i and i suspect that over time you'll get into more you know broadening what that means in terms of what is success for instance like success unlimited or financial freedom unlimited whatever it is but there are people that i know that make a couple of grand a month on fixed income that's what they do and they are happy like they are Rushing it. And I would say that they are success unlimited. They would be on the other side of the fence. So I admire and, and I'm a fan. I'm, and I'm going to keep listening to your program because I think what you're doing is you're saying, Hey, there's lightning in a bottle and we're going to shake it and look at it and examine it. And so I want to thank you for that. And I also want to thank you both for having me on. I'm super excited to have spent the time with you guys. Yeah, thank you. We really appreciate it. And and I and I agree, right? I don't think it has to be just millionaire status, right? I think it's just a, a metric that we've chosen to kind of say, hey, right now this is viewed as financially successful in a sense, right? And let's just see how everybody did it because there's different ways to do it. And some people want 100 and some people want one and some people want 100, right? Mm-hmm. But if it, if it makes you happy and that's financial freedom and success to you, then all the best, right? Well, Tom, thanks again. And, and give us a, a reminder again on what your book's called and, and that they can find it on Amazon, I know. would love to have you check it out. It's called Task, T-A-S-K, Task, Performance-Based Communication. And just put that in the search box in Amazon and you're on your way. I guarantee it. And, and you, if, you, if it doesn't help you change your life for the better, email me. I promise I'll give you your money back. I'll drive you <laughs> right over to your house. All right. Thanks, Tom. Thanks for coming on. Appreciate it. You're welcome. All right. Bye-bye now. Thanks, Tom. Thanks for listening to the Millionaire's Unveiled podcast with Clark Sheffield and Chase Mantinson. For more stories, investment opportunities, and information, check out our website at millionairesunveiled.com. See you next time when you'll hear from another everyday millionaire.